This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, September 21st, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, it's the seventh day of the UAW strike against the Detroit Three. The latest including an idle plant and thousands more people off work. Stellantis gives the UAW its first new offer since the start of the strike, sort of. Plus, we'll take a closer look at one of the most complicated issues of this round of UAW Detroit 3 negotiations. Worker tears and confusion over what that even means. In Sean Fain's speeches, he's argued against tiers for the in-progression system. He's also said, oh yeah, temporary workers, that's also a tier. We need to end that too. <laughs> and oh yeah, the healthcare system is a tier because some workers have pensions. If they were hired before 2007, everybody else has 401ks. We need to get them all on pensions. So that's a tier. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. General Motors idled its Chevrolet Malibu assembly plant in Kansas on Wednesday. This after running short of stampings made at a Missouri plant where workers are on strike. The automakers said that the roughly 2,000 UAW-represented employees at Fairfax Assembly will be off work because of the ongoing UAW strike targeting GM's Wentzville assembly plant. Meanwhile, Stellantis said 68 employees at its Toledo machining plant in Perrysburg, Ohio, were temporarily laid off because of the strike at a nearby assembly plant that builds the Jeep Wrangler and Gladiator. The automaker said it expects to lay off 300 employees at its transmission and casting plants in Kokomo, Indiana, which happens to be UAW President Sean Fain's hometown. The GM Fairfax plant builds the Malibu sedan and the Cadillac XT4 compact crossover. The Wentzville plant builds vans and midsize pickups for Chevy and GMC, and it makes deck lids for the Malibu. In a statement, GM said, quote, it is unfortunate that the UAW leadership's decision to call a strike at Wentzville Assembly has already had a negative ripple effect. The UAW said that blaming layoffs on the strike is an automaker tactic to squeeze members to settle for less. And in Michigan, seating supplier LM Manufacturing has temporarily laid off 650 workers due to the UAW strike shutting down its customer. The Detroit-based supplier made the move in response to a work stoppage that has halted production of the Ford Bronco in nearby Wayne, Michigan. The company is a joint venture between Canadian auto supply giant Magna International and minority-owned Land Manufacturing. A Magna spokesperson said the temporary layoffs began Wednesday. LM Manufacturing is the latest supplier to announce layoffs linked to the strike. More are expected. Meanwhile, Stellantis submitted a new contract proposal to the UAW this week. The company said the proposal, its fifth since negotiations began, focused on open subcommittee issues. Those are separate from the core economic issues, and it gave no further details. 
The automaker presented it Tuesday. A UAW source told Automotive News it's the first new offer from any of the Detroit 3 automakers since the UAW went on strike against the Detroit 3 Friday. Talks were continuing between the UAW and Ford, GM, and Stellantis ahead of the union's Friday noon deadline. That's when UAW President Sean Fain has said the strike would expand if not enough progress is made in negotiations. And finally today, a promotion to tell you about. Cox Automotive has named Scott Letourneau its new CFO. Letourneau will replace Mark Bowser, who will retire at the end of the year. Letourneau was most recently Senior Vice President of Corporate Development for parent company Cox Enterprises. Cox Automotive sells software and other products and services to dealers, retailers, automakers, car shoppers, lenders, and fleet owners. The company is having Letourneau and Bowser work together over the next several months to ensure a smooth transition. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, we're on day seven of the UAW strike, and we'll be reaching another deadline, what, noon tomorrow? Strategically, what plants do you see closing? You know, it's always a risky business to predict, especially about someone like Sean Fain, who is intentionally trying to be unpredictable. But the most likely, you know, targets would either be, you know, moving to some of the bigger, you know, pickup and full-size SUV plants. Those are real money makers for the automakers. Or he could try something like going after some of the uh, bottleneck plants, the the key, you know, transmission and powertrain plants that supply those big pickup and SUV plants. Uh, that would be a way to have a much bigger effect more quickly. We'll see how much pressure he wants to put on. Gotcha. And coming up. Automotive news reporter Michael Martinez joins the show to talk about his deep dive into the UAW's demands over ending worker tears. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy. No more excuses. No more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process steel jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better 
that outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit rayray.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. It's a demand so central to contract negotiations that UAW President Sean Fain has taken to wearing a red t-shirt demanding it in big bold letters across his chest. End tears. But the union and Detroit 3 can't seem to agree on what those two words actually mean. The companies say tiers refer to multiple wage structures that top out at different levels. Meanwhile, the union believes in a broader definition that includes, among other things, starting new hires at a lower pay rate that rises as they gain seniority over several years. Our own Michael Martinez wrote about it for us on autonews.com. Michael Martinez, welcome back to Daily Drive. Thanks for having me. This is becoming a regular thing. (laughs) Of course, that's because you're covering the biggest story uh, in the auto industry right now, the UAW strike. And you have a, a really good story out today analyzing you know, one of the real sticking points, which is the issue of tears. I was really surprised right off the bat to see uh, Sean Fain demand the end of tears. I, I thought those went away in the 2015 contract. Uh, so what, what's going on here? What's, how are they looking at tears and, and how is it playing out in the talks? I think the basic way to answer that question is that it's complicated. Yeah. And you can very easily argue that it went away in 2015, but the union doesn't think so. So essentially, the tiered wage system started in 2007. It was a concession the union gave up then to keep the companies afloat. And it was essentially so that they could continue to hire people in that Great Recession when they weren't making money. Without taking things away from the current members. Exactly. You you had, you had got the, the legacy workers were able to maintain their wages and healthcare benefits, but they agreed to, if they hired new workers, start them at half the salary and reduce their benefits. And at that time, there was no way for those new workers to reach that legacy pay. By 2015, the union said, okay, listen, we're out of the crisis. You guys are making money again. We need to change this. And it's toxic for our work environment. Exactly. I mean, and this, which is why they didn't want it, but they accepted it. And then they're like, hey, you guys are doing better. This is really not a good environment for us. This is something that's a really high priority. We want to get rid of the tears. Exactly. Yeah. The, the created a, two sets of, of workers. They resented each other. There was not a, a lot of camaraderie. You felt bad for the people that weren't making as much doing the same job, by the way, right next to each other. Literally on the, assembly the line. same jobs. Yeah. So they negotiated and they got an eight year growing period and it became known as in progression. You're an in progression worker if you've been there one, two, three years. And every year you get your raise. And at the end of that eight years, you'd be making that top wage. So the union at the time with their leadership said, hey, we've ended tiers eventually. Mm-hmm. The workers said, eh, we don't like that. So fast forward to 2019, they demanded more. They got more kind of. They shortened the grow in progression to four years, but only for current hires. So if you were on that progression, it only took you four years instead of eight. But if you were hired at any point after that 2019 deal, you were still on that eight year path. 
Sean Fain says, enough of that. We got to get rid of it completely. And so getting rid of it completely means going back to the original, you know, 90 days as a, a probationary employee and then you're and then you're full boat. Everyone's equal. Yeah. He wants to wind the clock back to the 60s and 70s. That's when it was the 90 days. Even before 2007, there was at least a, a three year mm-hmm. waiting period to make top wages. But he wants to go back to 90 days. The companies don't really seem into that. They're saying mm-hmm. we'll cut the path to four years. But they're saying we're ending tiers because we're getting rid of different wage scales at certain plants. They're eliminating some of the special ones for like parts handlers and uh, Mopar plants, things like that. Exactly. Ford has two plants on their list that only really top out at $24 an hour versus 32 right now. I believe GMCH, General Motors Components Holdings plants, there's about four or five of them. Mm -hmm. They top out around that same rate. Mopar, similar. So honestly, in any other contract cycle, this alone, the fact that the automakers are willing to move all of those workers onto that same wage scale, so they'd be making 32 or whatever that final number is after Mm -hmm. their gains, that would be huge. That almost would be enough to ensure ratification alone. (laughs) But the union has rejected all these proposals. Yeah. Well, they've done that. And the other part, though, is still leaving a four-year grow in for other new hires. And that is something they they don't want to accept. Exactly. And you could almost argue that the goalposts are moving here a little bit because in Sean Fain's speeches throughout the summer and into the fall, he's argued against tiers for the in-progression system. He's also said, oh yeah, temporary workers, that's also a tier. We need to end that too. <laughs> right. And oh yeah, the healthcare system is a tier because some workers have pensions. If they were hired before 2007, everybody else has 401ks. We need to get them all on pensions. So that's a tier. So he keeps expanding the definition of what the union thinks is a tier. Skilled trades? Is that a tier that needs to be eliminated? Sure. Let's throw that in there too. <laughs> he, he hasn't said that, but again, you get the idea, right? Right. But that's that's a higher tier uh, of union member. They get paid more. Uh, they get extra tooling allowances and things like that. Because it's a different work. And that's what the companies would argue. Some of these parts plants just fundamentally do different work. Yeah. So there was a report yesterday about a a new offer from Stellantis, but not an economic one. Where are we now? I guess tomorrow's another big deadline day. Exactly. Sean Fain has said if he doesn't see significant progress by Friday at noon, more plants will go out on strike. He's leaving himself a little leeway there with that significant progress wording. You could argue that you don't necessarily need to come to an agreement by Friday at noon. But so far, it doesn't really look like any progress has been made. We've seen that offer from Stellantis get passed over. It's apparently just related to some outstanding subcommittee work that's left to be done. We know the automakers had sent in proposals in the final hours before September 14th, that midnight deadline there. Mm -hmm. Haven't really seen a comprehensive proposal since then. So the talks are continuing, but it, it really looks like it's slow going. It seemed like Stellantis was further behind in sort of that committee work and local work. So it makes sense. It's I guess it's good if it's progress if they've caught up on that <laughs> and reached some agreements. And we know there have been meetings going on throughout the week uh, between the automakers and the UAW. So maybe uh, we see another set of, of financial offers come through before this deadline. Kind of the way things played out last week, I mean, once it got close to Facebook live time, talk stopped. I mean, and the automakers might make an offer, uh, but it seems pretty likely there's going to be an expansion of the strike tomorrow. Yeah, you could argue the real deadline is 10 a.m. Friday morning. That's when Sean Fain's going on Facebook. But 
I think today, Thursday, will be a pretty big day, especially with Ford and GM to see if they can show progress and actually send an offer. We've seen some back and forth bickering in the opinion pages of the free press. Mm -hmm. Again, going back to what we talked about with tears, they have different definitions for a lot of things and they're trying to spin phrasing and facts. And it, I don't know that that bodes well. It just shows the two sides are really far apart. Troubling stuff, uh, but uh, very interesting and stuff that's uh, it's going to keep developing and having a big impact on the auto industry. We'll be keeping in touch with you throughout it, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer and Alicia Anderson. Today's episode includes reporting from our own Lindsey Van Hulley and Mark Homer. Kurt Nagel from our sibling publication, Crane's Detroit Business, also contributed. You can get the latest news on developments in the UAW strike, executive promotions, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with the CEO of LendBuzz, who says the auto lending industry needs an overhaul. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 